Wow, it's a full house out there. I think we're gonna start uh, maybe needing to put some few extra rows of chairs. We've been putting out a few more and a few more since uh, sort of summer's come to a close. Has it come to a close? We're still having some pretty good weather, but uh, yeah, it's so exciting to see lots of people joining our community as, as well with our looking in lunch uh, last week sort of exploding at the seams. We expected a few, we got a lot of new faces. Uh, so yeah, just be encouraged if you, even if you're brand new, just talk to the people around you. There's a good chance that they're brand new as well, uh, just starting out here in Oceanside, and that's a great place to meet um, your sort of first connections here in the church. Yeah, I just want to say again, just, um, yeah, what a massive shock it was uh, to lose Ed this week. Just last week, we were talking out in the foyer about our kids. My kids were running crazy, and he was saying some funny things about them, and, you know, he was a... His uh, family are in the church, the Billick family, uh, Laura, who does uh, so many hours during the week for the 180 kids and serves your, serves your kids here at the church and, and her two kids here as well. Uh, so we just want to say that we're with them. And if, you're, if you know Laura, if you're a part of her life, just be praying for her in this time. It uh, wasn't something that had a long run-up. Uh, it was a very short thing and, a, and quite a big surprise on, on Monday when that, when that news came through. Uh, there will be sort of a, a celebration of life service happening probably over the road at the junction at some point, And uh, we'll get the word out there uh, when that's happening. Is that good? Amazing. We know for us, that's the ultimate point, right? To be with Jesus, to be standing before, it was a humbling thing to, to get the call on Monday and just talking with Laura on the phone as she was in the hospital with her and just to, just to say, you know, if today he does pass, he's going to be before the risen God, before the living King. And everything that is messed up and sucky about his body right now, the reason why it's failing, the reason why it's going, it's all going to be fixed in an instance. I love it in 1 John 3 where it says, when Christ is revealed, we shall become like him. And when we pass, when we go to see Jesus face to face, we become like him. He transforms our lowly body, is transformed into his, it says in scripture, it's his glorious body. And I can't wait for that day, as sad as it is to hear that anyone in our community is passing on to their next life. For us, it's sad for us. It's actually not sad for them. They have become glorious with Christ. So, and that's why we call those events that we do after someone has passed a celebration of life because we're celebrating everything that God has done through them, the generations that have come out of that man and, and other things like that. And now family that's, that's walking with the Lord. It's just so great to see. Yeah, so uh, thanks Thanks for being with here this morning. My name is Andy. Uh, me and my wife, Camilla, we, we lead the, or I lead the eldership team, and our eldership team leads the church. Uh, we've got four, four guys on the eldership team. We serve together with our families uh, to lead you guys, and we recently went through a leadership transition from, from Mike and Debs, who had led the church for 25 or so years. We had a massive celebration on September 10th, and on September the 11th, uh, we handed over, a uh, very humbling process to hand over. So we're, we're just in this season, if you're joining us, of, of preaching a little bit of vision around the church about how we're going to uh, stay the course, how we're going to keep going for the next 25 years. I don't know if it's going to be me for the next 25 years. It certainly felt like that at some times. It's like, am I ready for the next 25 years? Maybe it's 35 years. Maybe it's more. Maybe Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Hallelujah. Let's all go be with him. Um, but it, it, it's, a, it's a cool thing. And just to catch us up, we, we spent week one talking about, you know, keeping Jesus the center of our church, that he will be the center of it. He's building his church. He said in Matthew 16 that he will build his church. It's based on the revelation uh, of him and uh, nothing can prevail against it. And, uh, and last week, we just talked about the power that is in our church as a, as a whole group of believers. When we come together as a group of believers, the Holy Spirit 
Spirit is here. The body of Christ is here. He calls, Christ calls his body the church. That's us. And there is an immense amount of power within this place. We sort of compared it to, to a marriage, right? When you get married, there's been lots of weddings going on here recently at the church. When you get married, your hope is, um, as, 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 as the husband, is that you bring out all the amazing things about your wife, everything that makes her great and beautiful and her personality and everything that God has put in her. If a husband does his job right, he'll, he'll lead the, uh, the family in a servant-hearted way and he'll bring out the best bits and magnify those things. And as us sort of stepping in with the eldership team to lead us as a family of God, we are hoping to bring out all the best bits, all the best flavors, all the unique things that God has put inside each one of us. God has sort of about 250, there's probably 250 people, adults sitting here this morning, is there's 250 separate callings, 250 separate anointings, 250 giftings of God in this place, and we want to see it come out into its fullness. Amen? Amen. We're hoping that if you belong to this church, that you are a living and active member of this church, that you have a part to play that's something going on. And uh, just in prayer is sort of where we should go next in sort of the lead up to Christmas and continuing on into September, we're actually going to be going into the book of Philippians. Uh, so today, if you have your Bibles with you, just open to the book of Philippians. It's actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he planted about 10 years previous. Paul is stuck in prison at this point, and uh, the church is helping him out a little bit. So he sends them a thank you letter, and he also includes a whole lot of stuff about how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to surrender our lives to Christ, and what we're supposed to, and what that church is supposed to do next. And it's a super helpful guiding thing for us as a church as we examine where are we going from here. So it's my privilege and the rest of the team will be coming up in coming weeks. It's not just me preaching here at this church. Uh, it's going to be a team effort, but just for the first few weeks, it'll be myself. And uh, we're going to turn to, to Philippians chapter 1. Now, just because we're beginning this series and we'll be here for a little bit, if you remember sort of grade eight history class, I don't know if it's grade eight that you actually learn these things, but you learn that when you're in a history class that if you find a piece of evidence, you're supposed to find a little bit more about that city, what it was, what's going on, who is this letter written to, who's the author, who is it written to, and why? Well, for the city of Philippi, we need to cast ourselves, we need to think of a capital city, an influential city, a flashy and well-built city. If you came to it from the surrounding districts, you would be amazed by the buildings that were on display there. You see, the city of Philippi was a colony of Rome. And Rome, if you know, it was the empire that ruled much of the world when Jesus was born. And Philippi was a city that it had established outside of its normal boundaries to say, this is a little piece of Rome. And if you were Rome, what you wanted to do is you wanted to set up colonies that spread your culture to the entire region that you were trying to take over or that you had conquered in years previous. Greece, where Philippi is, was a conquered land. But once you conquer the land, you want to install your values and beliefs. You want to make an amazing city that represents you just amazingly so that everybody wants to become like you. Because once you've conquered a land, you don't want to keep on fighting. You want to convert everybody to your way of thinking so it benefits the mother city, the, the, the Roman capital as well. And this meant that this was a key city for the Roman Empire. But it's also a key city for the New Testament church as well. The reason why we're turning to it is because it was a place that spread culture. And it was a place that God pointed out through his Holy Spirit and sent Paul and Silas specifically. 
And uh, like we said, 10 years previous to this letter of Philippi, where he's writing back to this church, Paul and Silas planted the church in Acts 16. We'll, we'll turn to a little bit of Acts 16 at the end. And Paul pens this letter as a thank you letter because Paul is in prison. Paul's really good at getting in trouble if you know anything about him. So if you want to be like Paul, chances are you may end up in prison as well. Uh, there are Christians in prison around the world today as we speak. It's something that's a little bit foreign to us being in Canada, but it's a very real thing for the early church and it's a very real thing for the church today. The call of preaching the message of Jesus Christ has real consequences depending on where you are and what you are doing. And when you were in prison in the Roman Empire, they didn't provide anything for you. They were really good at locking the door. That's about all they were good for. They were really good at locking the door and you had to provide all your food, all your supplies and everything like that. So the believers in Philippi sent Epaphrodotus, I had the pronunciation right, pronunciation right in, my, in my prep, but it's, it's gone now. Anyway, you'll read it in... Uh, in um, shortly there as we turn. Uh, but the believers had sent to Paul uh, a person along with funds hearing of Paul's situation. And here Paul begins his letter. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 1 verse 1. And it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, you are making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It's interesting, that word gospel, if you're familiar with the word gospel, that sort of uh, Christian jargon, maybe you're the first time here, maybe you're not familiar with what the word gospel means, but it pretty much just means good news. And the city of Philippi is interesting. They would have been really familiar with the good news, but it wasn't, interestingly enough, the good news of Jesus Christ just yet. Anytime a new Caesar came into power, anytime there was somebody taking over or a thing to send out, Caesar would send heralds out into the surrounding regions. It would probably take months and months and months to get the word out, to get the good news out across the nations of what was going on. And the good news of the Roman Empire was called Pax Romana. It translates to the peace of Rome. It was the peace of Rome that came to your city after it had been conquered if you would sign up and subscribe to all the beliefs that Rome wanted you to have. It was the peace, as one person says, peace at the edge of a sword. And it was an empire that spread and actually blessed huge amounts of people. It brought stability. It brought unity. It brought economic vibrancy and all this other stuff. I'm sure there were a lot of bad things as well, but in this economic um, powerhouse of Rome, the, the world was sort of pushed forward in this way. And they, the Roman Empire, had very high ways of talking about what they were doing. It's interesting uh, when we talk about some of the, the Roman Caesars and how they saw themselves. The good news was already established and it was already being perpetuated by the Roman Empire, but it wasn't a good news. Um, sorry, it wasn't the gospel that we know today. And every gospel needs a Lord and Savior, and that was Caesar. Caesar, Caesar Claudius, from 40, who ruled from 41 to 54, he called himself Lord and he called himself Savior of the world. Can you imagine that? Savior of the world, Rome is coming to save the world. Yes, we're going to defeat you, we're going to, we're going to take it over, but we are coming as your Savior. 
Nero, who was probably the Caesar who was alive when this letter was being written by Paul, who, who Paul is held captive by, Nero called himself Lord of the whole world. That's how that Caesar saw himself. And Augustus, who was around just at the birth of Jesus, the, this was the Caesar that ruled uh, when Jesus was being born into the world, he called himself Son of God. Because it was his father, Julius, where they saw this, this comet come at, uh, the, at the Olympic Games, I think a year after his death. And it was a sign from the gods that they thought that, that, that Julius had ascended to heaven, that he was divine. And so Augustus took his rightful claim and said, that makes me the son of God. It's crazy, right? When we look at the history and we look at the things and we're like, wow, all these words and terminology, they're really, really familiar for what, how, for what took over from that. Christianity. And one thing in just my research that just stood out so much was this inscription by Augustus that was, that was found on a government building in 6 BC. Just, again, just before Jesus was coming into the world. I think we have a slide of it as well. But it says this, most divine Caesar. So this is a herald. This is part of the heralding of who Caesar was. The most divine Caesar. We can, should consider Sorry, we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. For when everything was falling into disorder and tending towards dissolution, he restored it once more and gave the whole world a new aura. Caesar, the common good fortune for all, the beginning of life and vitality. All the cities unanimously adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the beginning of the new year. Whereas the providence which has, which has regulated our whole existence has brought us life to the climax of perfection in giving us the Emperor Augustus, who being sent to us and our descendants as a savior has put an end to the war and has set all things in order. And having become God manifest, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. Wow. Can you imagine if someone wrote you a birthday card and that's what it said? You'd feel pretty good about yourself. Wow, say that again? How good am I? Wow, I'm pretty awesome. But in this inscription, again, before Jesus came, and perhaps this was an amazing place for Jesus to come at the right time and just defeat this evil thing that was pointing, this demonic thing that was pointing to themselves as God. Caesar Augustus declared himself as divine. He declared himself as savior. He divined himself as the beginning of the good news for all people on earth. And if you didn't know why Paul was so good at getting chucked in prison, I think you might know right now. Because he was all about saying that, but about someone else entirely. Namely, Jesus Christ, son of God, savior of the world, the real savior of the world, amen? The early church had their work cut out for them. That's what, what they were against. That's what they were coming up on. And Paul sent to this city of Philippi, again, a, a magnified, glorious outpost of the Roman Empire uh, set to display uh, Caesar's wealth and inheritance and his savior divinity over the world, let's say. In Philippians uh, verse 3, let's read onwards. 
Uh, to verse seven, it says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are partakers with me of partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Church is into this world, it's into this world where there's, a, there's two gospels being preached, there's two saviors being preached, there's two warring ideologies that preach that who is Lord, who's more powerful, who is the rightful son of God, that we find Paul talking to the church and saying, you are partakers with me in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. And my first point, if you're taking notes here this morning, is that we are partakers of the one true gospel church. If we again are going to preach about the vision of the church and where we're going, we as well want to say that we want to secure ourselves to, the, to, the, to that gospel, to the only one that has any validity. Paul says that we need to defend the gospel because just like in Rome, in our world today, you can believe in any God that you want. I was listening to a podcast. I got two podcasts that I'm, well, yeah, I, I won't mention them. Anyway, one of the podcasts is uh, Smartless. Does anybody listen to Smartless? Nobody. I'm the only person. Anyway, it's a very popular podcast, or maybe you don't want to listen to it, but it's basically three celebrities. I sometimes listen to it uh, when I'm out doing something boring or driving from place to place, and it's uh, uh, Jason, Basin, Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and, they, and another guy, and then they, they, they have people on. But they had Katy Perry on the other week, and as I was listening, they started talking about God because God, um, uh, you know, was a, was in work in, in Katy Perry's life early on. She was, I think, the daughter of, of a preacher and things like that. And uh, yeah, Jason Bateman says, um, he says, you know, what's your thoughts about religion? You know, and he says this quote, he says, there's something bigger up there that somehow explains all of this beautiful miracle stuff. But what that is can be for anybody's choosing. And I couldn't think of a better definition of how our world, how our modern world defines how you're supposed to have spirituality in our modern world, right? Is that there's some, there is something, but maybe there is something bigger up there that explains all of this beautiful miracle stuff. But what that thing is should be for anybody's choosing. And it was the same with the Roman Empire. You can have any god you want. There were many gods of the Roman Empire. And when they took over, over regions and places, uh, those gods didn't have to go away. You could fold those gods in with the beliefs of Rome. You just had to respect that Caesar was the most powerful and his rule was divine. But when Jesus came along, that was suddenly off the table. Jesus, the apostles and the disciples, and Jesus didn't just speak about himself as one God or a good way or a good belief or something that you can decide for yourself. He says he was the son of God. He was the only way to the father that through him. And for the church today, as we defend the gospel, as we join Paul in his defense of the gospel, uh, we need to come 
and, and talk to a culture that wants that authoritative figure of Jesus Christ to get back in the box, back in the personal box, back where it only has uh, consequences for you and your personal walk with Jesus. We talk about that lots, don't we? What is your personal walk with Jesus? But if you know anything about Jesus, about where he's seated today, he's, it's not a personal thing. It's a worldwide thing. There is no uh, part of him uh, that, isn't, that isn't intrinsic and everywhere. Church, if we are going to be a church at all, we should be known for a church that subscribes to the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. His word elevated. It said that he was the word who became flesh. So we pick up the word again today and hold it up um, as our instruction set. And there's a lot of believers today, there's a lot of churches today that are trying smoothing off all the rough edges of the word of God because it might hurt someone or it might trip somebody up in the way that they're doing, doing things. And people might say that a, a gospel that's not smoothed off, that has all the rough edges cut off that we deem as rough edges, it might say, well, that kind of God news that you speak, good news that you speak of actually sounds like bad news to all the people out there. But we should say back to those people that it's only bad news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is only bad news to people who are hearing it if the old God is still on the throne. If the old God is still on the throne and that's where you're trying to keep the old God, then the gospel is very bad news if that, person, if that old God is trying to stay on the throne. But when we realize that without Jesus, that we are enemies of God, enemies of the living God, then it's very good news that Jesus came and he saved us. It's very good news that, he, that we can come and repent before God, lay our lives down and put Jesus in his rightful spot in our lives. In Romans 5, again, the Apostle Paul talking elsewhere, he says this. He says, For why we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us that why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Church, we need to know as we defend the gospel, as we go back to scriptures, we ask, what is the gospel that we are proclaiming that we are proclaiming a gospel that counts enemies of, enemies of us as enemies of God, me and you as enemies of God, unless we pick up Christ Jesus and put him in his rightful place. And Paul says something else here. He says, you are partakers with me both in my imprisonment, in, my defense, in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. One of the things I love about church, one of the things I love about Connect Group, one of the things I love about uh, being uh, married to a Christian woman, some of the things I love about being in relationship with all these uh, people around me is that we get to confirm the gospel to one another. 
The Apostle Paul was charging the, the, the Philippian church who had, a, who had a huge narrative of a false gospel outside their meetings to defend the gospel, but also to confirm the gospel to one another. And the, the, a church that confirms the gospel to one another is a church that has the power of the living God living and working inside of it. A church with the power of God at work within it is a church that confirms the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that if we brought out every testimony of what God had done, maybe even just this week, we've had those meetings where people come to the front and they just say little things about what God has done. It's amazing because that confirms that Christ is at work. If we thought about the amazing miracles and the amazing uh, people who have been set free, the people who have been healed in this room, if we went and took our entire lives and brought that to the front and maybe even wrote our own book of Acts to say, what is God doing in this place? We would be amazed by the amount that our testimonies confirm the power, confirm the gospel to each other. And that's why our gatherings are so important, church. It's important for you to come. It's important for you to be in a connect group and things like that because we are confirming the gospel of Jesus Christ to one another each and every day that we meet together. We need to be a church filled with the powerful testimony of the gospel which confirms it. The next point for us this morning is that we need to be a church, a people living in the light of that one true gospel. You know, if you believe that Caesar is on the throne, if, you, if you've heard one of those heralds come through your city and you're saying, yeah, okay, there's a new Caesar in town. This is what's important to him. There was a chances for you that there were consequences for your life based on what that good news was from Caesar. Good things, bad things, higher taxes, lower taxes. Whenever there's a shift in power, there's a change in what it means for each one of us. And in Philippians 1 from verse 9, uh, Paul points out some of the changes for us. It says in verse 9, For you, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. I love one of the words in that scripture, at least in the, in the ESV translation. It says, approve what is excellent. I had to go back, it's like, okay, that's, a, that's an awesome translation because if you're a child of the 80s, you might remember a movie that came out in 1989 where they were all about excellency. It was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Excellent, yeah. I realize the references are getting rather old as I grow older. But I can just think, approve what is excellent. What an amazing thing for the scriptures to point out for us. Basically, what Paul was saying, that in the light of the gospel that you have received, you guys are going to have to make decisions about what you approve. Approve what is excellent. Approve what is superior. Approve what is from God. Approve the thing that is going to give life to your bodies and bring you into closer relationship with God. It says, approve what is excellent. And just in the verse before that, he says that love would abound. The greatest question for the church today is how do we love the world around us while the old God is still on the throne in their lives? 
That was the hard question for the early church, and it's the same hard question for the church today. We need to make love abound to one another. But Paul balances the word love with two other things here in Scripture. He says knowledge and discernment. He says in verse 9, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And we love that. That's an awesome thing to preach on. Just be more loving. Love, 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 love. But he also says, with knowledge and all discernment. You know, if you're a parent or if you're a guardian or if you're an older sibling who takes care of a younger sibling, love isn't so simple as just saying the word love. It takes knowledge and discernment to know what the love is and what the right thing is to do. In Colossians 3, chapter 10, Sorry, in Colossians 3, verse 10, it says, Put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Church, as we go out and share the gospel to our nation, to our workplaces, to our family, we not only share the love of God, but we are waiting for the knowledge of God to be revealed. And it follows what? It follows the image of the creator. Perfect love in our society. Perfect love, as we are supposed to display it, shows the very love of God. Jesus was the perfect uh, um, example of love. And without the gospel being accompanied by the knowledge that's after its creator, then the church will go the way of the dodo bird. Do you know about the dodo bird? Did they teach you also? Maybe that also came up in grade, grade eight science. Nate, when do they teach that? I don't know. He's a PE teacher. He's not a science teacher. He doesn't know anything about that. I'm sure. I think Nate, Nate teaches a bunch of other things, but he's a sporty guy. Right? <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't know where I heard about it at school, but I remember hearing about the dodo bird at school. And again, it's, it's uh, Charles Darwin went to this island, and I, I think I'm getting this right. Maybe I'm getting wrong. Maybe all the grade eights who are out somewhere else can correct me. But they found this bird that had no defensive instincts whatsoever. It had no knowledge of what was dangerous. It had no discernment whatsoever to say this thing might be a threat. So when, the, when people came to this island to study the things going on, they basically found an easy meal. It's like a chicken that wouldn't run away. And if you found a chicken that wouldn't run away or peck you back, turns out you would eat a lot of them. And the, the, the settlers on this island, the settlers that were exploring the world, ended up eating all these dodo birds because they had zero natural instinct to defend themselves, to protect themselves. They had no knowledge of what could be dangerous for them because they grew up on an island where there was no natural predators. So after years and years and years and years and years, they had no defensive instincts whatsoever. Church, we don't want to just be loving like the dodo. Yes, we want to love because we want to prove what is excellent to God, but it needs to come with the knowledge of God. And again, in Colossians verse 10 there, 3 verse 10, it says, as we're putting on the self, putting on the new self, which is being renewed after the image of its creator. The fact for us that this week, where I said at the beginning of the service, the awesome thing for Ed this week as he goes to be with the creator is his lowly body is turned into a glorious body after the creator of the universe. That's crazy. I don't understand that. I don't know what encountering Jesus in the next life is going to be like. It's something that we can't fathom, right, in our own knowledge. But all love follows that picture. 
And even though we experience the world around us in finite ways today, we know that the knowledge that we're after, the love that we're after, follows after Creator God. Love looks and feels and talks like Jesus. And that's also a really good way to see what we're doing as well. And love takes discernment as well. And Paul encourages the church, be full of knowledge and be in all discernment. Go and love the city, spread the new gospel. And I love this in verse C. There's an awesome part in chapter, in chapter, uh, a later chapter, I think chapter three of Philippians, where it talks about the righteousness of Christ. But it says here just after this that, you know, be so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Even though Paul is calling the, the Philippian church to live out the true gospel that they have been called to and, and step out and discern and all those things, he says, but be first, be filled with the fruit of righteousness of Jesus Christ. I love that the, the scripture talks about the fruit of righteousness. You see, it's Christ's righteousness that we get to step into as believers, it's not by all the good things that we do. It's not by following all the rules or, or making no mistakes with what we approve and what's excellent and things like that. But it's actually the fruit of righteousness. See, Christ's righteousness in our life bears fruit. If the righteousness and the transformation of Christ is living within you, there are going to be different fruits coming out in your life. There is going to be life spilling over into more life. So be filled with righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. And it's all, in the last point there, it's all for the glory and praise of God himself. It's got to be for his glory. It's not for our glory. It's got to be for his glory, not our own. My last point for us today, point number three, is that we need to be a church known for advancing the gospel. In Philippians 12, sorry, Philippians 1, verse 12, sorry. You can tell my wife is away right now and it's just me and the kids at home, can't you? <laughs> Keep saying chapters of verses and verses of chapters, the world's upside down. We'll see if we've survived till Tuesday when she comes home. Point three, we're to be a church known for advancing the gospel. Churches, we set sail on a new season here at Oceanside. I want to challenge us. And I want to challenge myself to say, are we a church that's known in the city for the love of the gospel? Are we a church in the city known that loves bringing people into relationship with Christ? I think this is an amazing church. I think this is an awesome church. I think the gospel is very, very present in this building and in all our groups and in our lives. It is flourishing and we, we benefit greatly. If you join this church, if you're part of this church, I believe that this church is going to benefit you greatly. But Jesus is calling us to be a church that loves his gospel so much that we want to share it with others. Is that right, church? That's right. We want to be a church known for the love in spreading the gospel. There are many awesome churches in Nanaimo. And I, when, I, when, I, when that thing came to me, I was saying like, God, we need to be a church that's known for sharing your gospel and loving the spread of your gospel. I could think of two or three churches that I thought in the city where I know that that's kind of their first love of what they do. 
They love bringing people in. They love sharing the words. They, they have uh, things on the wall where they count the, the, the believers off to say, this is how many believers we've got saved in the last six months or years or something like that. They love it so much. Will it be our focus as well, church? We're amazing at so many different things. We have an amazing worship team. We have amazing teaching. We've got an awesome Bible school and groups for you to connect into. But we need to be a church, again, like we remembered last week, on the front lives, on the front lines, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are many people in here new to the faith of Jesus Christ. But many people in here as well who have heard through somebody else and then come to us as a secondary thing. You know, we need to, just like when you're doing a new exercise, just when you've, you've, you go to maybe a gym after a long period of time or something like that, you find some new muscles in your body that you didn't realize were there before. Church, we need to exercise the muscle of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's four things that I've just got here as, as we close and as, as we finish up to say, how does God want to encourage us to share the true gospel that he has heralded us into this room first to go out in our city? As we said before, Philippi was a Roman colony, capital city, flashy place. And in Acts chapter 16, maybe this week as we begin the book of Philippians, just go to Acts chapter 16 and see how the disciples ended up in Philippi 10 years previous to this letter. It's a massive encouragement to me. It, in, from verse 6 in Acts chapter 16, it says, and they went through the, oh no, there's more things I've got to pronounce. Um, and they went through the region of Phygera and Galatia, and having been forget, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they come up to Mysia, they attempted to go in, into Bethsinia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow, allow them. So, so passing into my, my Asia, you can all roast me online for all of these later. So for passing by Myasia, they went down to Troas, uh, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. I love this piece of, this part of the Bible. It's just no, 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 no. The Spirit of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the, the, the Holy Spirit is basically, no, don't go there. No, don't go there. No, don't go there. No, don't go there. We don't know how long this period took of God shutting the door on several different places. But how many of you feel like you're in a season where God is just saying no? Amen? At least one person. How many of us feel like God is just shutting? We know the doors that God has shut, but we are waiting for the doors that are going to be opened. And the disciples in Acts chapter 16, they were in a season of God shutting doors, even Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, not allowing them to go into a certain place. And we find it breathtaking. It's like, why, why wouldn't God want them to go into all these places? And then in verse nine, we find out why. It says, and when Paul had seen the vision, uh, sorry, Verse 9, that's, that's verse 10. And a, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. So maybe as he's sleeping, a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I love this. And the, the, the colony of Philippi, that was like the capital city of Macedonia. So they knew Macedonia. Same when this church was planted. Uh, they, you know, Mike and Debs knew 
that they were called to Canada, but they didn't know exactly where. So, so the, the disciples just said, okay, we know that we're called to this region. We're going to go straight to the capital city because that's the most influential part. That's how we're going to quickest uh, spread the gospel uh, over this whole area. So setting sail from Taurus, they made a direct voyage uh, to, to Sathmaris and the following day to another city and then from there to Philippi, which was the leading city, the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, colony. And there we remained in this city for some days. The first point for us church, as, as we're stepping in to be a church that is known for sharing the love of the gospel, is that we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> If you want to know how to share the gospel, if you want to know the doors that God is opening up to you, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. We need to be in tune with what he's saying. We need to be aware that, you know, Paul could have just taken that dream. You know, I love in, in the way that he says after that, he says, so we suppose that we better go there. You know, it wasn't like, Jesus didn't lay everything out perfectly. It's just they had a vision of Macedonia and someone standing there help us. So they thought, okay, God is sending us there and God didn't shut the door, so they went. Church, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. We need to be interacting with the Holy Spirit. I charge you that if you begin your days by saying, Lord, let me share the gospel today somewhere. I don't know where, I don't know how. Lord, just give me an opportunity. When I've done that church, the opportunity usually presents itself. When we ask the Spirit of God, when we ask, say, God, make us effective, make us poignant to the people around us, that we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is directing us and directing the gospel's advances in our city. Because there are people in our city church that need to hear it, specific people. We can think of many, many people who would be against the gospel. You know, we could stand up on a street corner in Nanaimo, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and not get the best responses. We know that, right? Maybe unless you were the most articulate, beautiful speaker, not like me. But if we listen to the Holy Spirit, he's gonna give us the strategies and the people Reading on from uh, verse 13 in Acts 16, again, how the church of Philippi was established. So they went to the city and it says, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gates to the riverside where we supposed, they didn't even know, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. They found a group of women and one, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Trierta a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened our heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I love that. They know that they've been called to Macedonia, so they go to the capital city. And then they, they just go and they follow their own thing. They say, we, what we find here is that there is no synagogue in the city. It, takes, it took about 10 Jewish families to make a synagogue. Once you've got 10 Jewish families together, there would be a synagogue that you could establish in the city. It was apparent in this city of Philippi there weren't even 10 Jewish families who knew about the, the, the real God of the Bible. So they went outside and they went to the river where they supposed they might find some praying together. And it talks about Lydia. And she, didn't, she wasn't a Jewish woman, but she had, be, had previously become aware of the God of the Bible. And was a word, when it says that she was a worshiper of God, it's talking about that she was a worshiper of the living God. And God had connected Paul and Silas to her. 
The second, the second point in us, how should we advance the gospel, is that most of the time, God wants to advance the gospel one person at a time. It is our prayer, it is our hope, it is our cry that God would sweep this land with revival. That we would have meetings like they did in the early church where thousands came to church all at once. But we can also go as how these guys went to Philippi to say, just let me encounter one along the riverside. Going with intentionality. And it says, and it says that Lydia was converted because the Lord opened our heart. Again, it's not by our power, church. It's by the Lord's power opening hearts. And that's how we're expecting. Then it says her family became Christians. And that's amazing that it moves from the one person into the many people. Next, we find in Acts 16, the, the second interaction that they have in Philippi. It says they were going to the place of prayer uh, where as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had, this, uh, who had a spirit of uh, divination and brought her owners much gain in fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul having becoming greatly annoyed, <laughs> I love this, because I become greatly annoyed many times in the week, and I believe it's just, you know, a, a very biblical thing. But Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. Church, we need to know, as we were discussing last week, that as we go to advance the gospel, we need to go in the power of the Holy Spirit. We not only need to, to listen to the Holy Spirit as we go, but we need to go in the power of the Holy Spirit because we have authority to speak over people who are pressed by demons. We have the power uh, by the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit to set people free who are slaves to addiction. All these other things. Again, I told you the story uh, last week of these guys that I met who were just had been set free of addiction and met Jesus Christ. We need to go in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you know this story in the, in the later verses of this, when they set free that slave girl, the city was furious because that slave girl who had the demonic uh, possession upon her, she brought a lot of money in for her slave owners. And that, you couldn't do that. You weren't allowed to set people free. It'd be like going to a strip club in town and, and everybody getting saved and then the owners being so mad that nobody wanted to do that anymore, right? And they, Paul and Silas, were thrown in jail. And my last point here, as maybe the band want to come up and, and we can just uh, spend some time in God after this. Well, my last point here is, are you held captive God wants to use you as a captive for Christ. In verse 13 of Philippians chapter 1, it says, my imprisonment is for Christ. So Paul, again, not this time he's in prison in Acts 16, but when he's in prison again in Philippians, in the, writing the book of Philippians, he says, my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And Paul knew that his imprisonment was for Christ because he knew what had happened previous times when he was held captive um, for the gospel of the Lord Jesus. It says in, in Acts chapter 16 from verse 25, it says, Again, they had uh, set free uh, this demon-possessed uh, girl. Uh, the city had got so mad about this preaching of the gospel because it was ruining uh, the economic structure of their city. And it says, about midnight, so they're in prison, and it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke, so when the Roman jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out, saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of night and washed their wounds, and he and he was baptized at once, he and all his families. Then he brought them up to his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Acts 16 is the perfect example of church planting. If you ever want to plant a church, this is how God wants to do it. He wants to show you the region. You use your best judgment to say, okay, we're going to pick this city. And then he's going to bump you into someone randomly along the river edge who's going to give you a place to sleep, who her family's going to get, get involved in the church. And then there's going to be a, a demonic interaction and then who you're going to set free. Guess what? That's, that's the second disciple. Okay, we've got two disciples of the church now. And then the third disciple is the one that comes after Jesus sets you free from prison and you convert the whole of the prison and the jailer and his family to the church. When Paul says in, in verse 1 of Philippians that, I remember you, I remember you from the beginning. This was the beginning he was talking about. A lady from another city who just knew something about God, a demon-possessed girl, and a jailer working for the Roman Empire. And there a church is started, and 10 years later he writes back to all the overseers and all the deacons in the church of Philippi. The church of Philippi is established on these points. And the thing that not many, again, like we said, the thing of us today is that not many of us are in jail, right? The worst place to be, surely, for a, an apostle of Christ Jesus would be in jail. Because an apostle's job is to go from city to city to city, establishing churches, doing the work of God. It should be Paul's opinion right now that I'm not in prison for Christ. I'm just in prison in spite of what I want to do for Christ. And what I want to challenge us here this morning is not that we just need to be in love with the gospel and love sharing the gospel, but some of us feel held captive by certain things in our life of why you can't move forward, right? I'm, I'm, I'm held captive by this past mess up. I'm held captive because... I'm a VIU student and it's, and it's really busy and this, this whole program is taking my entire life. Or I'm unemployed and that's the biggest thing in my world right now is that I'm just trying to make ends meet from month to month or anything. 
could be anything. It could be I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a parent who just stays at home or I'm retired or what is the thing that defines your life right now? For Paul, it was, I'm a captive for Christ. Are you held captive, church? God wants to transform that thing and use that thing for his transformative gospel to the people that he has put you with. Maybe it's a teacher at VIU. Maybe it's your kids at home. Maybe it's the, the, the neighbor's family who you're at home with. I don't know what it is, but church, we need to be a, a church that is full of the Holy Spirit advancing the gospel. We need to get passionate about seeing people who haven't met Jesus know Jesus. This is a lovely church. <laughs> we love leading this church. It's amazing. But our heart cries for Nanaimo when we see the need within it. And as we stand here and as I hand the meeting back over to Paul and see where he wants to go, I just invite you to, to set your heart before the Lord and say, Lord, just like me when I read these verses and was immensely challenged for it, Lord, I don't feel like I've been in the best season of sharing the gospel. Lord, would you set my heart on fire? Would you set my heart on fire for seeing people saved, for seeing, for doing the thing, for taking it slow, for going in the power of the Holy Spirit as we share this amazing love of Christ that someone has shared with us and got us here. We sing all the songs, we celebrate, we thank God for all that he's doing in our lives. But church, let's be a church that loves to go and share. Amen. So I invite you to stand and I'll uh, hand it over to Paul. Thank you.